This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livis. This week on The Woman Behind the Business, tapping into your internal GPS to guide your success. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livis, and today's guests are both absolutely remarkable and dynamic examples of women walking in their purpose unapologetically. Our first guest is Shelby Casey Thompson, an educator turned entrepreneur who understood her purpose early in life. Like most of us, she didn't initially run towards her attraction to entrepreneurship, but after near-death experiences and various hardships, she finally answered her calling. Today, her and her husband work in the sexy industry of cryptocurrency and gold to fund their nonprofit, Breathe, which helps bring awareness and solutions to those faced with mental health challenges while also providing suicide preventative tools. Welcome to the show, Shelby. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So... Y'all know I believe in full transparency. And last night, one of my girlfriends was telling me about Shelby and the amazing work that she's done and continues to do. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I want to talk to her. I want her on the show. And voila, you are here. And I'm here. (laughs) And I'm grateful. Yes. So, Shelby, I mentioned earlier that you started your career in education after college And since then, you've been a mentor for over 18 years. Yes. What was your attraction to working in the education sector? Well, at the time, I wanted to be a teacher because I grew up in Fairfax County public school system, and I was the minority uh, in most of my classes. Um, I was the only um, African-American female in most of my classes, and my teachers weren't so great. Um, they weren't great for my esteem. They weren't great for academia, pushing me or anything of that nature. So I used to look at my teachers and say, I can do this, but better. Mm-hmm. And so I went into the field of education to be a different model of what I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was my sole goal and purpose. And upon going to, I went to Virginia Union University in Richmond. I needed a small school. Um, when I got there, uh, I met some phenomenal people, and I excelled in in, in education. And um, but there were pieces of it that were not comfortable for me, and that's like leaving out the love in in education, leaving out the discipline, some of those things that just weren't allowed that I didn't realize uh, going into the field. So when I came out of teaching, I, I um, came out of college. I taught for about three and a half years, mm. and then um, I was married at the time, and I had a I was pregnant. And I lost my child late in uh, the pregnancy where everybody knew about it. And when I finished my year um, at that school, but when it was time to go back, I decided, um, well, I didn't decide. My mental stability was not great. And I decided I didn't want to raise 25 other kids. And I wasn't sure if I could have any of my own. Mm. Um, So I left the field. Well, let's stay there for a second. Yeah. Because a lot of women, and we've talked about miscarriages mm-hmm. on the show before, because I've actually had five okay. um, before I was able to successfully have a child. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't really understand what that can do mm-hmm. to you, yeah. and to your point, mentally. Yes. And so, I mean, as an educator, this is something that you've pursued, you've become passionate about. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, you're like, Yo, I don't 
mm-hmm. want to raise and love and mm-hmm. exactly that. That's exactly the feeling I had, and um, I loved my kids that I had, and they. You know, when you're in grade level school, you're watching your teachers and um, they all saw me pregnant. So, you know, when I came back and there was no baby, they asked me all the time, like, when is your baby coming? Um, And I said, well, she's in heaven. And they say, well, when is she coming back from heaven? Like, and that was the conversation on a regular basis. And I had to, you know, kind of just push through that Mm -hmm. and deal with it. And they were like, they were like second graders. Okay. First, I, mean, I was teaching second grade. Yeah. And uh, so the first graders that wanted me the next year, like, I'm going to be your student next year. And I'm like, I'm not coming back. <laughs> so, yeah, it was really difficult. Um, I, I, you know, I say this um, not lightly. I was raised by the Cosbys, literally. Mm-hmm. My parents were, you know, 100% supportive. I was the baby of my family. And any challenges that we had, they just kind of took care of it. So I had not formed any coping skills up to that point at all. Um, I just, if people, you know, I had some things happen, bullying, people picking on me at school, but I had an older brother, so he shut that down. And I just didn't have any traumatic experiences or anything that made me have to cope solo. And how old were you when you had to go through this? Uh, I think I was about 25, 26 years old, Mm -hmm. maybe so. And so... um, you know, this this really knocked me all the way down. Um, and I, I just didn't really know how to find my way out of, uh, of that dark place. And, you know, I, losing the child first, and then I lost my mental state and uh, st- my mental stability, I should say, physically. And then I felt like I lost my career. Then my husband decided he didn't want to be married anymore. And then they found cancer cells in my cervix. So all of these things. Well, girl, you got to say something once. for the moments from the valley because <laughs> you've given it all. <laughs> exactly. So those are the things that basically made me say, okay, I need to stop Fresh this career. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when you decided that you needed a fresh start, where did you start? Because when you lose all of those things Mm -hmm. and how much time it went by, like two years? Yeah, it was like two, three years. Everything was like bam, 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 bam. And um, I I just had to, you know, when you hit like so, so low, I have good family and support team and they just surrounded me and like, listen, you're spiraling. You're you're saying you're going to counseling, but you're not saying you're taking your medication, but you're not. And we're watching you, you know, drown. And so you, you know, it was kind of an intervention where they were like, listen, this is what you're going to have to do in order for us to still be in your life. And I was stuck at a crossroad like, you know, I've already lost a lot. I don't want to lose these people, too. So mm-hmm. I need to get myself together. And um, it's not as simple as getting yourself together. But I was like, I got to do the work to get back to me. And what was the work? The work was, you know, not suppressing my feelings, crying, um, uh, taking my medication regularly so I could think clearly, going to therapy and not lying and saying I went and I didn't, Um, reading books, prayer, you know, forcing myself to get out of the house, you know, when I didn't want to. And all of those things combined, you know, finding my spirituality, finding the God in me, all those things together. I can't say it was one single thing, Mm -hmm. but I started to feel hopeful that I could get out of that dark place. And then I started feeling like, you know, you can do it, you know, and I just pushed, pushed, pushed. And um, 
you know, push, push, push. It took me probably about like a year and a half because I was determined not to be on medication. So I was like, I got to wean myself off of that and learn. When I realized that I didn't have coping skills and I said, okay, I see why I fell so far because I didn't really know how to. Mm-hmm, I didn't know how to cope with it. And my, I come from a traditional black family. My parents were like, um, baby. <laughs> Black women go through stuff. Get your life. Yeah, get it. You know, you acting like you going to Betty Betty Ford's clinic and get healed, and you can just go on a retreat. Keep it pushing, you know. And I had to educate my parents about mental health. I really am the catalyst for you know explaining to them that this is literally I'm going through a mental health crisis right now. Mm -hmm. This is not like you know we can't pray this away. Right. Without any, you know, intervention, any, you know, you got to do something. You have to do some work. Exactly. So I love that, you know, the topic for today's show is kind of tapping into your inner GPS. Mm -hmm. So what was it like for you when you found the God in you? Well, I was like, I remember when I left the hospital that day, I said, I will never smile again. And when I said that statement, I was so sure and like, I meant it and I believed it with every fiber of my body. And two or three weeks later, I see something on TV and I laughed and I smiled and I was like, okay, I got proven wrong. And then it was, you know, uh, I I was like, I I will, um, you know, I'm not going, I can't do this. I can't make it. And each day I would make it. And so I felt like God is showing me that you can do it. You're wrong. Like, mm-hmm. you're wrong about what you think. You think you're not strong enough for this. You think you're not going to smile again. You think, and then I was like, wow, like, God is in me and He is speaking to me and talking to me. And I've always been a very compassionate person and a very uh, uh, giving, thoughtful person. But once I had that situation happen to me, and I remember the first time I threw myself out of bed and went outside for the first time, I went to the grocery store, and the person at the grocery store was so very mean and rude. And I thought to myself, like, she has no idea what it took for me to get in this line Mm. to get up, get dressed, get in the car, come here and go just to the grocery store was a super task when you were de- when I was so depressed and now I do all of that and I'm confronted with someone being rude and that moment changed my life because I said every single person I come across I have no idea what you went through last night and I treat people according to in that way mm. no matter how they are to me they may come out mean nice whatever it is I'm like I don't know what you went through last night to get to this, to to be in front of me. And so I just make sure that I try to show people God in me. Like Mm -hmm. I try to show you like God is love. God is patient. God is not going to come at you uh, in a way that could, you know, it could be the straw for mm-hmm. some people. Yeah. Like they're everybody's not everybody, but a lot of people are just right on that edge and they mm-hmm. just need one last thing. Somebody to cut them off in the car or somebody to, you know, break their self esteem or break their spirit. And so I learned that um, you know, early on and so I just took those those tools with me. So that's how I found God in me because he kept proving me wrong and I thought I knew what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) Now talk to us about your transition into entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I I really had to reinvent myself. Um, I knew that uh, financially uh, the field of education became unattractive 
attractive to me. And then also, you know, dealing with the babies, it was unattractive to me. So I said, you know, I have to reinvent myself. So I started out going to temp agencies and just taking little odd jobs here and there. And I'd go to these jobs outside of the field of education. And I'm like, whoa, I can do this. Like, I can support people and I can do marketing and I can do all these things. And um, one of my temp assignments was at America Online. And because uh, I lived out in Virginia near Dulles and I worked at America Online and it was so many young people that were brilliant and uh, successful. And I was at a supportive role for someone who was younger than me, who made four times as much as me plus bonuses. And I supported her in building the marketing decks and things like that. And I, and after, you know, AOL started taking started merging with, I forgot who they merged with at the time, but uh, people were taking packages and leaving, right? And so they offered me a, a sum of money. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to take this money. I'm going to start a business. I thought like $20,000 was a lot of money back then. <laughs> Foolishly, that's not enough. But I took that $20,000 and I started my own little marketing firm. And I started just telling people like, this is what I can do for you. I've done it before for mergers like oh. Oprah and uh, National Geographic, things like that. And so I just reinvented myself and I went out there and I found out like once I found out I had the will, power, and I had the strength to overcome those things that had happened, then I felt fearless. And so I didn't feel that, um, you know, jumping into entrepreneurship. I was like like a child jumping in the water. I didn't know any better that I could actually sink. So I jumped out there and I tried it. And um, I did well for a little while, you know, and that didn't sustain. But um, that's how I jumped into entrepreneurship. I just felt fearless, felt like I could, I knew my own strength and um, I could do it. Now, you did some work with, uh, and I only know this from our girlfriend, yeah. uh, Laura Winslow. Yes, yes. And her real name is Kelly Williams. Kelly Williams. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yes. Okay. And Laura Winslow from Family Matters, y'all. From Family Matters. <laughs> yes. She's local. She's a she's amazing. She's an amazing uh, human being as well. So um, through all my little entrepreneurial things, um, I got into. Uh, Rewind. I, I um, basically started helping people to develop their nonprofits. Okay, I had uh, was you know because I had the business savvy and things like that. One of the things that I used to do, kind of as a consultant, was help people develop and build their nonprofit organizations. And so I got referred a lot. People would say, "Oh, Shelby can do it. She can do this. She can build this. She can do that." And so. I uh, helped Steve Francis, a basketball player, helped him build his foundation, um, his nonprofit. And someone referred me to Kelly. And we, the first time we met, we got on the phone. We met. We said, okay, let's meet up somewhere and uh, uh, tell me what you want to do. Because when she was retiring, you know, she put 30-some years in the business since she was four or five years old. Mm-hmm. And so she came back home to Maryland from California, and she wanted to start a nonprofit. So we we met for lunch and uh, to to see if I was a good fit to help her develop her organization. And she, we talked, did not talk about the organization at all. We talked for two and a half hours just about like girlfriend talk. And like, (laughs) we thought we knew each other forever. It felt like we knew each other forever. It was so amazing. So we, we developed a friendship and then we hung out some more. We hung out some more and we're like, wait a minute, weren't we supposed to do something? And so we had to get back to business. So I did help her 
um, with the development side. I was the managing partner and the behind the scenes person putting her dreams um, on paper and putting her vision into curriculum format so that she could execute it because she was the creative and I was just that, you know, support and the paper pusher of everything. And so, yeah, she had a, a organization called KWP, Kelly Williams Programs. And uh, uh, that's where we first met Ebony, actually. She came out to interview her um, and uh, we met Ebony there. So it was really successful in the city. Uh, we ran and operated it for about three or four years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love all the little small stories yeah. that, you know, essentially they're the little stepping stones exactly. to get us to where we ultimately end up. And today you're currently married. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's the thing. Like, you know, I one day I put a post um, and because of the people that I have helped, I, I know a lot of people. And but a lot of people don't know my story. Like they don't know. Um, they just know like that's the girl that helped Laura Winslow. That's the girl that did marketing. She did film screening. She did this. That she has a nonprofit organization. They know these things. And so one day, I put a post on Facebook. Um, it was 2015, uh, January first, 2015. I put a post on Facebook and I said I've just been compelled to say this. And I said, you know, you know, sometimes in life you think that things that you're never going to get on the other side. And I said, there was one point in my life where I lost this, this, that, all the things that I just told you about and more, right? And I put all those things and I said, and now here I am in 2015 and I have this, 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 that, and I have peace of mind and I have this, this, that. And people, you know, so I said, hold on, like, hold on, don't, don't let go, keep pushing because there is another side. And, you know, now I have a child, now I have a husband, now I have a career, now I have peace in my life. And the response was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. The inbox, they just kept coming and coming. I went to sleep that night and didn't do anything for New Year's. I woke up the next day to hundreds of email messages, um, comments, likes. People were saying, you know, oh my gosh, like I thought about ending my life last night. Or, oh my gosh, I had no idea. You showed no signs. Like my dad always says, like when I went through the fire and I don't smell like smoke, right? So people were like, I had no idea you went through that type of thing. And I'm struggling with having a baby too. And I, my husband left me too. And all these things. So my fiance at the time, now my husband, we read these together and both of us just cried. We were like, oh my gosh, we need to do something. And we said, okay, let's start an organization that alleviates that stigma associated so people will have the conversation, so people will talk. These same people had selfies of them being so happy and all these things and then hit me on the inbox like I barely could get out of bed. Right. And I'm like, tell somebody. You don't have to put that face on Facebook. You don't have to show people that you're okay and you're not okay. Right. And so we we said, let's start a nonprofit organization that alleviates that stigma associated with mental health and, um, you know, helps people with uh, suicide prevention and that type of thing. And then we said, okay, now we got to think of a name. Well, what is it that we want people to do? And through the whole message of what I said, of how things were and how they are now, that what the main message we wanted people to do was just keep breathing, 
Don't stop breathing. Don't end it because if you just keep breathing day by day by day, you'll get on that other side. And so we started Breed Nonprofit 2015. And uh, he and I started it together because he um, he uh, has uh, uh, experience as well. And we're like we're like the founders of a nonprofit organization because we have mental health experiences and challenges. We have no professional experience whatsoever. <laughs> So we have no credentials. She's like, and we're not only the uh, client. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I have to manage my mental health all the time because once you've gone there, mm-hmm. you can go back there easier. Mm-hmm. It's like when you like if you're you an know, addict or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can mm-hmm. go back there just like that. So you got to manage it. And I am I am serious about my environment serious about who is in my space like I like not let anybody or anything take me back there I have sad days just like you know normal everything every day but going all the way dark not me not Not no more not no more (laughs) all right so we are running down on time yes but we got to talk about this cryptocurrency yes talk to us about how how did you end up wait actually Cause we don't have time for it. I want to know how you got into it, but I'm like, oh, we we fighting time. Yeah. Tell us three things that we need to know about cryptocurrency. Okay, three things you need to know about cryptocurrency is that it's decentralized money, and don't be afraid of decentralized money. See, there's one thing that is a barrier between us and getting money mm-hmm. is that we're judged on criteria. You go to the bank, you're judged on your sex, on your gender, on your age, on your debt to income ratio. You're judged on how much money you comes in, how much money goes out, mm-hmm. a whole application process, right? And so uh, cryptocurrency alleviates that barrier. It's money that's owned by the people. Mm-hmm. So you don't have the bank or the third party to tell you, how much money you can spend, how much money you have, all of that. So the one, the, the first thing is don't be afraid of cryptocurrency because you own it and you're, you can scale your life up and finance things that you want without a, a bank making a decision. That's the first thing. The second thing about cryptocurrency is that you can, um, if you get in early, your risks are so minimal that it just, it just, makes sense to do it because mm-hmm. you can get in for pennies and watch it grow. How long ago did you get in? Um, I've been doing cryptocurrency just for two and a half years. And there's there's two thousand over 2,000 different types of cryptocurrency. Everyone thinks Bitcoin only, but Bitcoin was just the very first. So they're like the IB, the Xerox copy of, mm-hmm. you know, copying. But those people and people say, oh, Bitcoin crashed. Well, it didn't crash for the people who bought it for a dollar. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So when Bitcoin went to twenty thousand dollars, people who held one Bitcoin made twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So imagine having a thousand Bitcoin that you bought for a thousand dollars. Right. And then it went to $20,000. So Bitcoin made a whole bunch of millionaires and billionaires, a whole bunch of them. And if we don't do it, the last and final thing is that if you don't get involved, you'll just be left behind because yeah. it's going to happen. It's happening every single day. And you, you're going to like 
ride the train or just get left off the train. But it has the opportunity, to, to, a life-changing opportunity. And what's the third thing we need to know about Bitcoin? Um, the, um, about cryptocurrency. Yes. Because Bitcoin is just one of them. Yes. Um, and I don't have, I do have a little bit of Bitcoin, but I have another uh, currency that's backed by gold. Um, the, the third thing is that, um, I think I just said get in early. And it's it's here to stay. Don't be afraid of it. It's okay. a way that you can, you know, finance your dreams. That's our whole motto is that whatever you dream of doing, you can use cryptocurrency to finance it. You can take pennies and turn them into multi-million dollars. Now, do you educate other people on cryptocurrency where they we can do. invest with you or you can handle their portfolios and all that? Yes. Um, I have a, a series that I do every Tuesday called Women in Cryptocurrency. Mm. And uh, it's uh, we do we get on a Zoom platform and I present to people an option to get gold back cryptocurrency. And then I, we teach them how to trade it, buy it, sell it, and use it for their advantage. I love it. So before we wrap, we're going to definitely get that information. Mm -hmm. But for now, we got to get ready to take a break. Yes. And this has been amazing. Thank you. Like, we're definitely going to have to have you come back and just talk about cryptocurrency because I feel like that's a show in and of itself. Um, But for now, we're going to head into our break and we are going to get a quick tech talk. And when we come back, I'm going to introduce you all to the one they call the voice of the new generation, Miss Tia P. Stay with us. It's time for this week's tech talk. And today I have in studio with me, Miss Jaleesa Johnson, president of Secure Tag 360, bringing us information on why Starbucks is a must have app. Why is that? Keep the line short, ladies and gentlemen. We are spending way too much time online from our desk to get a cup of coffee in the morning. Everybody has to have their fix, right? So whether it's juice or Starbucks or water or bagel, Starbucks is making a lot of money by being available in every corner Mm -hmm. of the universe for the business person. It is not there necessarily for the average Joe walking down the street. Businesses are consuming Starbucks, whether you are sitting there to have a meeting, whether you are there just to get away from your desk for a second, you'd be, you're missing. Why? Because you're online for 20 minutes waiting for Starbucks. If you download the Starbucks app, you can also, number one, you can fill it with a gift card and or you can attach it to a credit card. By the time you get there, your name is sitting on a table with your beverage and you have spent less than three minutes between walking there and walking back to your desk, your Starbucks is ready. Now, like you can reserve a table in Starbucks as well? or no, it's you're just, just getting your food. Okay. You're getting everything a la carte to go. It's like a pre-order. So instead of spending 20 minutes online waiting and you're rushing, you're now just going and picking it up and, and keeping it moving. Hmm. That's interesting. And I know people may say, well, how does this deal with business? Time is money. That ties back to your business. I don't need to spend 20 minutes Standing on a Starbucks line, when you break down, how much is 20 minutes in an hour of your day? So right. if you make $100 an hour, well, I just spent $20 online at Starbucks. This is true. And I don't think that we can argue with you that we value our time. And our time is very important. Right. Get it down to $3. <laughs> that three minutes is only costing you $3, opposed to 20 minutes costing you 20 Absolutely. I got you. All right. Well, you know, I can see how that is a very beneficial app to have. So, ladies and gentlemen, make sure that you download that Starbucks app so you can have your coffee hot and ready for you instead of you waiting around in line with all those people. 
and having a hot attitude because it ain't ready. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want more information, visit us online at WBBTalk.com. Welcome back to the Woman Behind the Business Talk Show. I'm your host, Angel Livis, and we just wrapped up a conversation with Mrs. Shelby Casey Thompson about her crypto business and her nonprofit around mental health. Now we're going to switch gears to bring you Miss Tia P, who is all the way in tune with her internal GPS, and it's led her to some pretty amazing places, starting with my alma mater, Howard University. Ooh. <laughs> TMP has been named the voice of the new generation, and that voice I speak of embodies the essence of Erica Badu and the funk of D'Angelo. Her career has led her to acting in or producing music for Fox's Empire, Netflix hit shows, Dear White People, and All American, and she's also been featured on BET's Next Big Thing. Next Big Thing. I'm so excited to have you join us remotely. Tia, where are you? Yeah, I am at home in Inglewood, California. Inglewood. Awesome. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Tia, today's show is all about, like, tapping into your internal GPS. And I recently caught a glimpse of you freestyling on Sway in the Morning. Um, I believe you were on recently. Yeah, I actually had a trip to New York uh, last week. And uh, part of that main trip was to uh, swing by Sway in the morning and, uh, yeah, chop it up with him and, you know, yeah, really get that, that right to passage sample of approval. You know, that's kind of what, <laughs> what that know. show was all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we had a great time up there, yeah, yeah. So I saw a clip of you freestyling and you said something that just, like, totally touched my heart and resonated with what this show is all about. And the one line was, I don't even have to move, but I'll give the whole room chills when they're exe- when you're executing in your gift. That's how it's supposed to be. Mm. And that to me just just said so much because there are so many people who are not operating in their gift. Right. So what does it mean to you to be operating in your gift? For me, um, it's kind of a combination of things of, of the spiritual as well as the physical. Um, Gift might when I say operating in your gift, it's more or less a, a synonymous with operating in your purpose. Mm-hmm. And for me, purpose isn't something that we can give ourselves. It's not something that any person, man, woman alive can really give us. It's something that's innate, that's a gift to us that we have to figure out what it is. Uh, so for me, um, my purpose is love. God has given me a gift of music to be that medium to to spread love, to, you know, to spread unity, to be that that voice of of community. And so um, it's kind of, when you're not operating, you, you, like some people, most people know as much as they don't want to admit it. They know when they're not operating in that space where it's beneficial for them as well as beneficial for other people. And so um, I just, it just, it's a certain, you just know, when, you, when you're in it, you know, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. other people can feel it without you necessarily having to say, I'm operating in my gift. You just, it's just a natural flow of things that, um People feel it. People resonate with it. And, um, yeah, like I said, for me, music is just the way that I've been able to operate in giving love to the world, showing love, showing unity, showing peace, you know, showing that other side that we're not really seeing a lot of right now, you know. And right. that, that, to me, is operating in your fullness when you can affect people without trying to, you know what I'm saying? So that, that for me, has is, is, is been a blessing to, to operate in my gift and to enjoy, you know, for people to enjoy what I do, so... Yeah, it's a very selfless thing, I believe. 
So what would you say to the people who are afraid to walk in their purpose, to um, really pursue their passion? Because unfortunately, I feel like there are more people not walking in their purpose than the people who are willing to unapologetically walk purposefully. Yeah, and it's interesting when you walk, when people don't walk in their purpose. It's not necessarily that they're living bad lives mm-hmm. or bad energy, but it's just there's a, it's so much more that you're not exposing yourself to. It's almost like you give you're doing a disservice to other people because when you're walking in your pur- purpose, it affects other people in a positive way. It affects the way they move. It may affect the way they think. It may affect the way that they operate in or outside of their purpose, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's really one of those things you kind of have to get out of yourself about because mm-hmm. it's really not about you. Right. It's not about me. It's about the other people who can be impacted, the other people who can be influenced, the other people who can be changed by just you being honest with your story and living in your truth and presenting that, you know, living in that purpose. So it's one of those things you just have to, you just got to do it. You know, it's not like a, a formula. You just, you got to... For me, I I gotta pray daily to make sure I'm staying in my purpose, and um, it's 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 really a relationship with God that really leads the way. Um, it's not so much anything, like I say, you as a person, as an individual, can create for yourself. Uh, you just either choose to operate in it or you choose not to, and the lives that are affected will come as a result of you operating in it. So, it's yeah, you just pray about it. And, when you get the strength and boldness, you'll know. <laughs> right, right. And sometimes it's just a matter of some people just don't know yeah. what their purpose is. Yeah, yeah. So. And it, I have a, for me, like I said, I have a, a team of people who, um, and a team is really important. By team, you don't necessarily, if you're you know, not in music or stuff like that, I don't mean necessarily it has to be a manager or, or somebody like that. But I mean, a team is just a group of people around you who you trust and who trust you to give you those checks and balances, you know, to, to tell you when, you know, you're, you're slipping up or to kind of help guide you mm-hmm. um, along the way. Like, if you're the smartest person on your team, you need some new teammates, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that always helps as well. Because, I mean, we all need a little guidance, a little a little push, a little something sometimes to refocus us, recenter us, and just, you know, get us right back on track. Now, you have a new, P, a new EP um, called Operation. Yes, 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 yes. And... Of the songs that are featured, did you write all the songs or? Uh, for the most part, yeah. A lot of those were music pl- songs that were uh, featured for music placements uh, by a company named uh, The Math Club. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of those songs for um, a couple of TV shows and other music placements. Some of them are still out being placed right now. So, but the majority of the stuff I wrote. Okay, so did you write I'm a Star? Let me just ask the question I really want to know. That is, that is all me, yeah. I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, let me just get to what I really want to know. <laughs> All right. So, what was your inspiration behind that song? Well, I'm not really a, a flashy type show off person, um, but for the nature of what the song is, and, and for you know things to be placed, they kind of want like a a visual type song. And so, my thing for I'm a Star was just like. I like the chorus. You, you see my new whip, and at the time when I wrote it, I just got a new car, so that was a really true statement. <laughs> you see my new wave, and that was kind of like the the attention that um, TFP had kind of just been garnering at the time, just from uh, writing songs to get placements. And I was just really busy at the time. I was doing a lot of background work for for uh, music and, and TV. And uh, you see my new drip. Of course, when you when you start making moves, you make a little money. You know, not not. You may 
you know, everybody wants to make money in their respective fields. Right. And, um, you know, it was I was seeing myself becoming more of a commodity in a way um, that I hadn't really seen so much in the past, which is great. It's always great to garner new fans, garner new attention, um, and, and that sort of thing. So it really was just kind of like a, okay, well, yes, I'm a star. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I'm a star. You know, and it's, it's very playful as well because I don't want people to think I take me too cocky. Too. Yeah. Because I don't, I'm I'm a big little kid. I'm I'm five foot one, barely a hundred pounds. You know, I still get carded everywhere I go. So you know, I I I can't take me too seriously. You know, I like to have fun, but it's it's that playful type swag thing. You know, it's like I'm I'm good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that that was really where, where it came from. Yeah. So in the entertainment industry, nothing just happens overnight. So how long have you been writing, producing, and acting? Oh man. Um, well, I come from a household of musicians. Both my mom and my father are musicians. My dad plays drums. He writes and produces. My mother, she sings. And they just always... I don't remember a time when I, I didn't do music, to be honest. Like, it's just always been one of those things that's just been in me and nothing that was uh, forced forced onto me, nothing that, you know, I felt like I had to do because my parents were musicians. But it was just one of those things uh, that my parents saw that I have, and, and, and they, they nurtured it from a very young age. So I remember, I think my mom says I was maybe about one and a half, two, when uh, we were at the house, and I just pulled out uh, some pots and pans from under the sink, and lined them up in front of me, got an egg whisk and a spoon, and that was my first makeshift drum set. And she was like, oh, well, guess we got another musician in the house. So <laughs> it's been like that, you know, um, just just kind of gravitating towards different things. And, and luckily, all the things I've gravitated toward, I've been able to uh, really hone in as a craft, from the writing to the producing to uh, rapping and, and acting. And um, to be honest, the acting part didn't really come until the year I graduated from Howard in 2015. And um, an agent named Kim Gola, who's my current agent, she just saw a picture that I posted on um uh, I think my, my, my manager at the time, he just posted something on L.A. Casting, which is a, a universal casting site. She saw the picture, asked if I had representation, and next thing I know, we were meeting with her, and the following maybe two weeks after I met with her, I had an audition for a Pepsi commercial with Tori Kelly, and then that weekend they called and told me I booked it, and that was my first commercial, uh, first international commercial, and that is where it all just kind of just kicked off in terms of the acting, so... Yeah, I, it, that whole thing was just like, what? Like, what? <laughs> and yeah, it, it served me well. It served me well. But I think, well, I, I, that is awesome and such an amazing story because I was actually going to say, like, do you think it helped, like, being in California where a lot of commercials and things like that are shot? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because I had a moment right before graduation where I was trying to figure out, okay, do I want to come back home? Do I want to stay in D.C.? And my pops, really, he was like, what What do you want to do? Music and da-da-da-da-da, you need to come back home. Yeah. You know, this is the Mecca. And uh, he, he was so right, because as much as I love D.C., it's L.A. and New York are the real capitals for, you know, music and entertainment. Mm-hmm. And for me to be a native, it only made sense for me to come back home and just, you know, hit the ground running however I could. So, yeah, definitely being in California and being a native has, has been great. Um, like I said, I don't have to pay rent so that's that's great <laughs> that helps a lot because la is expensive right uh, but yeah yeah california just a lot of times just being that here or being in the right place is not necessarily knowing the people
people with being in the right place has uh, played well in my favor. So, yeah, L.A., California is, is definitely a good place to be for what I do, both music and acting. And you'll be returning to D.C. in October. I heard that you're performing during the Howard Homecoming. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm being honored as one of the HU Move Makers uh, at one of the events that uh, they're having for Homecoming. So it's always good to be recognized by your people, your peers, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I'm really excited to come back. I'm usually back every Homecoming. First time I didn't go was last year, and um, that was because I was shooting something. um, And, yeah, I had to cancel that flight, so that sucks. (laughs) But, um, but, yeah, I'm excited to come back this year and, and see my people. And uh, they've been hitting me up on Instagram and social media, just excited for me. And that's, that, that's love. You know, that's, that's love. I always appreciate that. So. Well, welcome to the Move Maker crew. I, um, was, uh, I got the award last year, and I think I was recently nominated again this year. So I'll probably see you there, hopefully. I think we'll be at Heart Rock Cafe. Yes, I believe that is where it's going to be. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right. Now, I know this next question is probably the equivalent to picking your favorite child, but (laughs) I want to know which of your many talents as a rapper, singer, producer, producer and percussionist makes you feel most alive? Hmm. It would probably have to be. ah, That's a tough one. Oh, man, that sucks. Um, (laughs) Probably, you know. I'm most alive when I'm on stage doing whatever. As long as I have an audience to play off of, it could be one person, it could be 20 people, it could be 1,000 people. That give and take of energy mm-hmm. and whatever I'm doing, whether I'm just speaking to them in between songs, whether I'm singing something, whether I'm rapping, that that um, transference of energy is is a drug, to be honest. Like, it's... it's it's such a high to be on stage and to have crowd control and to just to feel them feel you like that, that moment, that feeling is, is immeasurable, you know, and that from the moment I started performing, I realized this was what I wanted to do. It just, it just nothing else in the world compares to that. When you, when you are just giving energy and receiving it back from the crowd and whatever, like that, that is one of the most amazing natural highs I I can experience. And a lot of times like I didn't realize it. um, I talked to my mom, I was like, I really don't remember a lot when I'm on stage. People have to recall and tell me what I did, but it's yeah. almost like a, 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 a blackout. Like, I'm so, I'm on such a rush, I'm on such a high, I don't really remember a lot um, from my shows until I see footage or until people tell me, but it's, it's just that intense for me. And, um, yeah, that, that's just when I just, I'm, I'm hype. I, I have energy that comes out of nowhere when I'm on stage, so, yeah. <laughs> Now, what does it mean to you uh, when you hear people refer to you as the voice of the new generation? You know, I take that title um, very close to my heart um, because this new generation, I think, uh, is easily judged, um, is easily uh, is easily thought of uh, with the perception of, you know, we don't know too much or... or uh, it's weird. I feel like I'm in between... Uh, this new generation and the old school because I feel like people born in my time still know about dial-up, but this next, next generation wouldn't know what AOL dial-up sound sounds like. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I know what was, but I also see what is. And the most important thing for me is to be that that bridge Mm -hmm. in between what was and what is because I feel like a lot of times this, this generation tries to dissociate itself so much. It tries to be so independent 
that it forgets it's not all that new. You know, there's nothing right. new under the sun. There's always things that, you know, we can learn from the past. There's also things in the past that we can teach, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I just take that as a, a, a title and a job to, to be that bridge, to um, always be aware of where I come from, but always look forward to see where we're going. And um, I, whether that comes through music or whatever uh, form that happens, that's, that's my job is to be that bridge, you know? So. So before we wrap, because we're about to run into our moments from the Valley, which I'm going to talk to y'all about in a second, but (laughs) for all of my aspiring entrepreneurs um, and entertainers that are listening in, what would you say are the three most important things that they should be mindful of, um, especially in the entertainment industry? Um, Well, be mindful of the people you keep around you um, because energy is infectious. And you have to have people who share your vision as well as your passion. And, and not a lot of people are going to do that. So I would I would advise people to keep their circles tight, not so much as you stiff-arming everybody else, but it's, it's a protective mechanism because if you have a gift, you have to be very careful with that gift. Mm-hmm. Um, gifts are meant to be given, but you have to be very protective of that. Um, secondly, I would always advise uh, people to, to trust their gift because um, when you trust trust the gift, that means you trust the giver who gave you the gift. And he would never put you in a situation that you couldn't handle. So you have to be confident in what you do, but not cocky to the point where you can't take advice. Or not cocky to the point where, you know, uh, no one wants to work with you. Um, Mm -hmm. And lastly, don't be an a-hole. It doesn't matter how dope you are. Nobody likes to work with jerks. Um, Don't let your talent take you where your character can't keep you. Mm. And that's something I've been told um, my pastor says that a lot at uh, my church out here, and that's one of the things that stuck with me um, throughout childhood, now into my adulthood as an artist. Um, you, you, your character is just as important as your talent. The two can't elevate if they're both not on the same page, and a lot of people forget that. Um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be cool people. You gotta be cool people because sometimes the likability factor will get you places that your talent alone can't. You know, so you don't ever want to get to a place where your talent gets you and your, your character can't keep you. So, yeah, I think those would be my my three tidbit tips. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So thank you. Thank you so much. We're not leaving you yet, but okay. we're going to go and we're actually going to play your song. I'm a star. <laughs> um, so like I said, I'm super excited. And when we play the song, I want you guys to be thinking about your moment from your ballet. So. The moment from the valley is a time that you did not know how you were going to overcome a particular situation. So you have to share what the situation was, how you made it out, and then what was waiting for you on the other side. So while I give the two of you an opportunity to think of that, we're going to play I'm a Star. You see my new whip? You see my new wave? You see my new drip? They all up on me. They all up on me, so what can I say? Oh my gosh, I'm a star. You see my new whip, see my new whip, see my new whip, see my new drip. They all up on me, they all up on me, so what can I say? Oh my gosh, I'm a star. Who got, who got the game on lock? You know I run that block. I do. Who don't belong at the top? Never deserve no props. You don't start none, won't be 
see then say some. This vibe of on is dangerous. Come get you some. I'm on one. If you see me, better squeeze me. I get ghosts like a phantom. Haters turn it to gorillas when my swag on bananas. Groupies look like paparazzi with their phones and their cameras. When they ask me how I do it, this is all I can tell them. Yeah, this is anything but random. random. Yep, I walk in, they stand up. Stand up. Treat my name like an anthem. Yeah. It's whoop, whoop, whoop. Not 5-0, but keep them hands up. Yeah. Uh. Everything I do, I go hard. On a hundred like I'm fully charged. Living legend, I'm a rock star. Uh. Yeah, buying bottles till I buy the ball. Everybody get an encore. OMG, what you mad for? If you win my way, if you win my way. It is time for our moments from the valley, and we are going to start with you, Shelby. Um, my moment in the valley was surviving divorce. Um, I got married very young, and um, to my high school sweetheart, so he was my only boyfriend. And losing that relationship um, after a series of other losses um, was, you know, it was pretty devastating. And um, the way I got out of the valley was. I just immersed myself in self-love and self-care. Everything I did was about healing. Like I was determined that I would be healed from the hurt. And I just did the work. And the work for me was prayer, uh, surrounding myself with great people, therapy, and just loving myself, going places all by myself. I didn't want to, but going to dinner by myself, going to the movies by myself. And and after I got out, because I was like, wow, I like, I really like you. I really like you. You're fun. You're patient. You're kind. And when I started to love self, then the loss was not as devastating. So I got out of the valley of devastation of divorce by immer- through self-love. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Shelby. Oh. All right, TFP, your turn. All right. Um, my my valley was um it's it's interesting because a lot of people see my social media and they see, you know, I'm I'm very active, I'm very energetic. Um and and that is really because there was a time when I, I couldn't be active at all. 
um, when I was 16, shortly after my sweet 16, uh, I was in a car accident, and I ended up totaling my mother's car. So there was a financial burden I had placed on my family. And on top of that, uh, I ended up developing a polyarticular juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, which when you hear arthritis at 16, you're like, what? I'm six. This is for old people. Who gets arthritis at 16? But it, it was a... Uh, it was a real struggle for me because after the car accident, um, what I thought was just morning stiffness turned into, like I said, the polyarticular juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, which affected all of my joints. I, I couldn't get up. I couldn't open a doorknob. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't even turn my head. Like it was. It was really, really bad. And um, prior to that, I was an athlete. I was active, and to go from total mobility to you can't even do the basics was just it 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 changed my life it changed my perspective it just it it pushed me to really be appreciative of the the little things the small things just the ability to 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 walk without pain um and that was that was just wow for me you know like i said at the time i was i was 16 those 16 year olds should feel decrepit you know you're supposed to be in the prime of your your body your mind and i i didn't have that for a while and um I just, what it did for me, I I really, really, it gave me a bit of a, a story to, to tell Howard because it was right after that time uh, when I was starting to fill up my college applications. And I, and prior to this, I didn't really know what I was going to write about. Um, you know, my, my parents have lupus, but that wasn't my my story. That wasn't my struggle or anything. But this really, it... um. It gave me a story beyond a story, beyond just the okay, she's good academic, she does sports. But it was it was really a, a a turnaround time for me, you know. And so what that did, it just transformed my mind into really focusing on fitness, really focusing more on health, for, uh, helping other people focus on fitness and health because I couldn't do it at the time. And then I just I prayed more. I got really close to God. Um, I've always been good with God, but of course, when you go through some stuff, you tend to get a little closer to the Savior. But um, it just it just really just reevaluated my mind um, and gave me a whole new perspective on life, you know. And I just wanted I want to take that joy with me that I have now that I can do all those things again. I'm better than I was before. I'm more active than I was before. I'm pescatarian, pseudo vegan, so I've cut out a lot of crap that I used to eat. And I just I just want to be that that burst of light and energy. Um, that many people may not be able to do or may not see. So it's it's really just transformed my struggle into a testimony and, and brought me joy that I just want to give to other people now. So yeah, I love it. This is why, like, this is why we do this segment of the show because a lot of times people see where you are today. And they don't understand your struggles. They don't understand your journey. They don't understand your story. And so, you know, for people to know that we've all gone through something. Mm-hmm. We've all had to overcome a major obstacle, but yeah. it humbles us. It I- helps us to see love um, and to be able to give it even more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, thank you both for sharing your stories, um, essentially your testimony, um, because there's somebody who needed to hear that. Yes. Yeah. So um, thank you, thank you, thank you.
Now, before we go, um, Shelby, can you share some social media information and contact info, especially the information about the cryptocurrency? Yes, yes. Okay. So um, social media, I'm at Shelby Casey Thompson. Um, And then with Women in Cryptocurrency, if you go to www.womenincrypto.co, we do a Zoom every Tuesday, Zoom platform where I explain it, um, the offering, and then um, we do some education about it afterwards. And that's every Tuesday at uh, 2 p.m. But Actually, if you just go to womenincrypto.co and leave your information there, we will. I'll send out information to everyone. So, okay, awesome. Yeah. And find me on Facebook, and I'll give you any information you like. And then information on Breathe. Yes. Even if it's just a social media. Yes. For people who want to learn more about the mental health awareness that you provide. Yes. Um, our website used to be breathenonprofit.org, but we um, it's shut down right now in development because we are developing an app. So if you find us on Facebook, it's Breathe Nonprofit. You'll see uh, Orange B with semicolon, semicolon behind it. And that's our logo. We've got a wealth of information on there, training classes, um, support groups, things of that nature. And then um, stay tuned, looking out for the, the website and app. So Breathe Nonprofit on Facebook and find me on Facebook, Shelby Casey Thompson. And it's an open page. And I'll tell you everything that I know about cryptocurrency. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Shelby. All right, Tia P. Yo. All right. So, beautiful people, you can find me uh, at my website or on Instagram. Both are I am Tia P. The website is I am Tia P. Com. The Instagram is I am Tia P. The YouTube is I am Tia P. I tried to stay as consistent <laughs> as I could across the board. so There wouldn't be any confusion. Uh, but if you guys get a chance to check out the website, uh, there's going to be a, a spot where people can post about their quote-unquote come-together moments. And that spawns from the remix of Come Together that I did, uh, the Beatles classic remix I did featuring my boy B. Slade. And we just want to have a space for people to, to come and show their, their moments where they're helping out. Uh, they're doing something for somebody else. Just some moment in their day at some point where they're they're being selfless or doing for another person, whomever or however that may be. And we just want to post that and, and spread that publicly and, you know, be a, a forefront to show that there is some good still in the world, despite what we see on the news and everything like that. So imtp.com as well as at imtp on Instagram. And, yeah, I, I follow back, and uh, you'll be entertained. I promise you that. <laughs> Awesome. And for all of our local DC uh, residents, uh, DMV, you will be able to check out TMP at the Howard University homecoming Saturday. Um, what is that? October? Jesus, I shouldn't have said that. But sometime in October, whenever uh, Howard's homecoming is. Early October. Yes, that's all I know. Somewhere in there. <laughs> All right, ladies, thank you so much for being our guest today. I truly, truly enjoyed you both. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a blessing. Awesome. All right. Now, uh, you at home, please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, wbbtalk.com. And now you can start registering for the Woman Behind the Business Retreat titled Vision 2020, using scriptures to propel you to new dimensions. It's all happening on the beautiful island of Nassau, Bahamas, February 20th through 24th, 2020 at Bahamar Resort and Convention Center. To register, visit wbbtalk.com backslash registration. And of course, follow us on social media at WBB Talk. 
And you can follow me at Angel in Livis. A special thank you to our show producer, Shane Lewis, and our program director, Max Myrick. Until next time, stay blessed.